0: Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you. I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter, and without further ado, enjoy the show. You're a flow master. I am. Flowmaster is an exhaust brand, isn't it? It is exactly what it is. (laughs) When I I think of of Jeremy Blossom, I think of the the top-of-the-line exhaust kit that you can put on a truck. Just make it sound good, feel good, all of the (laughs) above. What's up, dude? What's up, Taylor? You're one of the guys that has been at the forefront of the financial space, financial education, which is ironic because Levels of Wealth is like a financial education brand. And now we have like one of the OGs of financial education. You've helped everybody in the financial services space. And so I have many questions for you. Okay, let's get into it. Potentially so many questions that you're going to get annoyed with me for asking you questions. (laughs) Uh, But we can just flow. We can just roll through. Real quick, first question. Are you into crypto?
1: Yeah, I am.
0: Okay, what's your what's your take? Speculative? Is it going to be around for a long time? You like buying monkeys with your crypto, or are you just buying holds? I'm
1: not. I'm not uh, that far along with the NFT stuff. I think that, ooh. So I'm. I've seen. I've been around. Right to your point for a while, and I've seen how the government can come in and just completely change everything for an asset class. And so I own crypto, I've been buying crypto, I like crypto, I really love the Web 3.0 movement. I think that the the tech for sure is here to stay. And I think that there's going to be a lot of reiterations of this. However, there is a massive issue that just is getting bigger and bigger every single day that it could be jeopardizing the US government's cash supplies. And I mean, there's a bunch of other things that it could be offsetting. And at any point when you've got especially the us they came in and they put some regulation in place uh that could send this already volatile asset class into a tailspin so it's like i'm using it not like it's my my horse and i'm all in guy you know for good or for bad but i also can't ignore that it it is past the point of no return as far as it's going to be used you know for a while how that's going to look like in even five years—it's hard to say. When I don't, when I when I can't do that, when I can't like crystallize—I think you and I are very similar. Like we're very visionary people. If I don't have a crystal clear vision of something in five to ten years, it doesn't mean I won't just completely stay out of it. It just means that I'm not going to be as aggressive as I would be other asset classes in the, in the meantime.
0: Yeah, totally. I I feel like I have developed some good IP around what you're saying because of my background in sales. And so salespeople are notorious for doing something that gets them money and they'll it'll work so yeah. well that they'll stop doing it yeah and it's like so I, I tell people sometimes like the two worst places to be is something's not working but you don't know why the second worst place to be is is something is working but you don't know why because yeah. then you can't repeat it so this is like what you're talking about is attribution and how things are really connected in a uh, a cause and effect way and when you throw the government in there it just jacks up all the cause and effect because you have no idea how long they're going to allow certain things. But there are then these people who are like, the the government can't really do anything. And I see that point too. What are they going to do? Like ban crypto like China did? And then it's just like all the mining rigs reallocate to other places in the world. It's really shooting yourself in the foot, right?
1: Sure. But it's the institutionalization of the asset class, which is we're just at the very beginning stages, which is the most exciting thing about the asset class in general. And what I mean by the institutionalization of an asset class is that we haven't even seen the players move yet. I'm talking like the big pension funds that really run this world. If anyone wants to just see the effects of, of, of an institution taking advantage of an asset class, just look at the housing market right now. The biggest holder of, of real estate is pension funds and these big institutions. And so when they want to move and they really, really want to move, there's no holding them back. But a lot of these institutions have bylaws and agreements and a lot of things they can and cannot do. And so regardless if they agree or disagree, if the U.S. government does something that would prohibit these institutions for taking advantage of it, you'll see everybody shy away from it. Um, they're not going to go and, you know, the one hand in, uh, is better than two in the bush. They're not going to go and try to, like, leave what their core business is just to go after this, this this asset class to take advantage of something. And I think that's that like effect that I'm actually worried about. Now, do I think this is actually going to happen? No, I think it's, uh, it's never that black and white. Nothing is. I think that we could just see some movements. And I kind of want to see that first. And that's the trade-off, right? I mean, a lot of people could have said this about the automobile back then too, right? And other big, huge um, game changers that we've kind of gone through. Oh, that's not going to be anything. And there's the naysayers. I'm just talking about me personally, but anybody who's listening to this, it's really fascinating to look at the government impacts that they have on things because it's just a domino effect. First, it's the government policy, then it's currencies. And then those currencies have, you know pros and cons based off of uh, on an asset class based off of what the asset class is, how it's going to be affected by that currency fluctuation. So we do need a big reset. I hear people talk about how like the world, you know, where we've got, you know, most debt we've ever had were trillions of dollars in debt as a country. Our kids' kids' kids are going to be saddled with this debt. And so we've heard a lot of people talk about the Great Reset and how crypto could be this great reset, and we're all becoming really globalized. So, I mean, I, I get myself really talked into it, but like, we're not out of the reach of a major policy change that could just you know, decimate someone's portfolio yet. And that just gets me a little... Yeah, I'm, I'm playing with the house's money and I, and I just take a percentage of my portfolio or, or my income and I just continue to add to the position. Yeah.
0: Have you pulled chips off the table from any of your major wins? Or are you just letting it ride?
1: No, I for sure have. I've taken some, I worked for a hedge fund for seven and a half years. And then I worked, I owned a financial advisory firm for three and a half years before that. And at the hedge fund, it was all active investing. Active investing, there's like, two major schools of thought. You've got your passive investing strategies. Um, these are like asset allocation or asset reallocation strategies. They're all buy and hold where your dollar cost averaging in and you're, you're picking you know a, a blended portfolio of stocks and bonds, right, real estate, things like that. Active investing is much more cyclical in nature. You could um, really active investing goes as far as called swing trading. Um, Another form of investing. And so the fund that we were at was more swing trading. It was an options trading company. So really active. um, And that's just kind of me and I'm young and I like that control. So I can't help see movements and take money off and then reinvest in not picking necessarily tops and bottoms, but picking momentum changes and seeing and signaling momentum changes. I was out uh, November of last year, for example, in most of my crypto positions, just off the marketplace. And then cryptos kind of come off. Just seeing the momentum change happening was an easy decision for me to like, all right, let's sit tight. I'm still sitting tight. I think that there's a little more choppiness that's gonna happen. And then I think I wanna come back in soon, but I'm still watching it.
0: Nice, yeah, the passive income investing is almost a, uh, it's about capital storage more than income versus the active, which you're participative in it, is more about income. And uh, I think that's pretty fascinating. I think one of the things I'm interested in over the next couple of, it could be weeks. I don't know if it's going to be years, months, or weeks, is like the single family real estate game I've been very active in because of the rate hikes that are coming, the increase in prices, Due to supply and demand, are you in real estate? You have real estate exposure right now, or are you out of that as well?
1: Yeah, my I have my own primary family residence as my only real estate exposure. That was something that I really missed the boat on. I wish I would have came in heavy about a year, a year and a half ago. I'm in Southern California. It's really a time management thing. So here in my marketplace, about an hour away. I could probably, you know, maybe six months ago could have made some moves that would have put me in a good position. But you got to really know these marketplaces. You just really have to do the research. And I'm not that guy that if I don't really understand something and I get it, then I'm not going to like move into it in a really big way. Now, I also have a little bit of a different theory, too, on it. Like, so some people um, have a modest house. And they have two or three of those, or five of those, or six of those modest houses, and they're looking for these two to three bedroom, maybe three or four bedroom houses, seventeen to twenty two hundred square foot family homes, single family homes, as their like portfolio in Southern California. Though what we've seen is that these like three thousand five hundred plus square foot homes appreciate faster than a sixteen hundred square foot home does um, in in bull markets, and so. When I was looking at a house, I don't need a big house. I've got two kids, like I didn't need a really big house, but instead of going and buying, you know, a 700,000 dollars back then, a 7 or 800,000 dollar house, I bought almost a 2 million dollar house because of the appreciation effect that could happen, you know, if the market was going to take off. I didn't know it was going to do this. This is before COVID, but I did make those key decisions. And people are like, "No, you didn't. You just wanted a bigger house." And frankly, actually I don't. I didn't I grew up in apartments my whole life. I'm not that guy. I don't really care. It was in a strategic investment decision and I squeezed myself into that home. I really pushed myself to get into this home because I knew that there was if I could get in here and there was any type of appreciation, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a much bigger effect than I would on a seven or eight hundred thousand dollar house out here in Orange County, right? So there's just different strategies. I was looking for fast appreciation. Um, I could have arbitraged. Uh, there's a lot of different marketplaces that you can arbitrage rent. So Lexington, Kentucky is a really cool marketplace where you're seeing rents discounted about 20 to 30% off the major marketplaces. But in, you know, maybe major marketplaces like LA or New York or, you know, big cities. So the rent's only off that, but the housing prices are half off or 40% or 60% off the, where they're at in those places. So that's really interesting to me if you want like income based real estate divestments. So for me, what I, my portfolio is right now is I love, I'm, I'm heavy into options trading. Volatility comes and goes, right? But when volatility is in the marketplace, there's a, a massive, a lot of people just don't understand options. So they don't know how to partake take in this. But I love them. Um, you can get into some really cool income strategies, some really growth strategies by trading the options market. So most of my assets are in stocks. Some I go in and out of crypto and options trading. And then, of course, businesses. So I love investing in startup-based businesses, putting fifty dollars to $100,000 into businesses. One of my investments was in this electric motorcycle company. It was more like a dirt bike company called Vulcan. And they have an amazing technology for their bikes. You can go check out their ticker symbol, VLCN. They are just an incredible company. It's based out of Austin, Texas. And I was introduced to this opportunity. Well, guess what? I put in twenty five thousand bucks. It's not a lot of money as a, a part of their their early rounds, really early rounds. And uh, they went public in November. Um, nice. And they hit, yeah, they hit sixteen dollars a share. I'm in for a dollar thirty a share. So you, could do yeah, I own thirteen thousand shares of this thing. So um, I got restricted stock. I could sell half of it in April, another half of it in, um, in May, and then all of it in June if I want. And so you said 18 They went public at 18 They went pub. No, they went public at $8 a
0: share. Gotcha. What's it at now?
1: It goes back and forth. I think it's probably like 9 bucks a share. And que- question
0: for you on that. Are you, are you actively hunting deal flow or have you set up just the network and people send things to you?
1: Um, both. I have a few. So I'm really, really cynical. So I'm like, I'll, I'll shoot yeah. it down so fast, um, really, really quick. I doesn't, you and I both in business, I can, l- I can look at business models and look at cash flow and I can really yeah. quickly see what it is. And the things that are really, really exciting to me right now are ones that are going to get the attention of someone bigger than me like someone really, really quickly, meaning like it's going to go public or they're going to get bought. So another deal I was a part of was a deal called uh, another company that went public called Soliton. It was a pharmaceutical based company. They were actually a tattoo removal based company and they had a whole bunch of patents. They got bought out for 26 bucks a share, all cash deal. Um, But that was what the game plan was. And that's what they were talking about doing before they even went public. Mm -hmm. When you can get behind people, who have a proven track record of seeing that and be able to orchestrate it all the way up to it. This guy just saw it from the from day one and told everybody about it and he had a track record of doing it and he was able to secure these patents that were super critical and get FDA approval, by the way, that was the other big break too. And he was like, nope, I know I can get FDA approval. So you start to like look at that pedigree, you look at that person, you see what he's been able to do. Has anybody ever gotten an FDA? Don't, don't invest in something or someone that's never gotten an FDA approval for anything in their lives before. Why would you ever do that, right? So looking at opportunities like that where I'm, I'm going through it. But yeah, so I have uh, a few people who just are always asking me, hey, man, you should really get a part of this deal. You should really be part of this deal. And then I'm always, as a, what Strike Point does for businesses is we help grow them. And so I get a really firsthand look at some of these businesses that we're helping out. And I will, you know, come in as a partner with them in some of these cases. And so far, none of those have really panned out. Um, a little bit of income, but nothing huge for us. We've had some good months here and there. But the biggest ones have been coming in early on a rocket ship. Uh, I've had ones, by the way, just for full transparency, I've had several of these that haven't done anything either. So it's not like I'm, you know, uh, some Oracle that has a golden touch.
0: I mean, dude, I think that's the game for everyone. And this is what I've learned about, like, the world of investing is, dude, you're going to have losses and wins. I think this is the problem for business owners, honestly, because, you know, my background's, with traffic and funnels and sales mentor and like income businesses, helping business owners grow their business, dude, they get stuck because the things you have to, the mental calibration you have to have for earning money versus the mental calibration you have to have for like investing and multiplying money are not the same at all. Yeah. They're very different. A lot of my experience with business owners who try to become investors is like, they just can't handle losing. And so they don't do it. They just don't want to put money into their business. Like, yo, I've got to, you know, a, a 600% ROAS, it's like, yeah, but you are working your ass off for that. You know, That's like, <laughs> yep. I would much rather have like a, a a blended 30, 40% that I'm doing nothing for than a six, you want both, but you've got to go yeah. into different mindsets. And I think people just don't understand sometimes that you look at you, I was listening to an episode of Jason Calacanis, who I'd love to get on the show if you know him. He's talking about his losses and his wins. It's like angel investing is you put, you put money into a hundred companies, Two or three of them do average. One of them does 4,000%. The rest of them yeah, lose money. That's right. You know, it's that's the game.
1: And, and that's the batting average of these venture capitalist funds who have people who are 10 times smarter than than me, you know, went to Harvard and they, they've got like, you know, rooms full of these people who are just running stats all day long, trying to find this to secure, you know, that the increase their odds. And they're doing this, they're, their average. is exactly the same as ours. I mean, not exactly the same, but it's not like a big disparity between the two. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think that I I like what you just said there about like the average business owner. um, And I'd say even just like the average uh, income earner, you know, a lot of people want to pull the levers that they think they can get the most amount of growth on. And as a business owner, I'll speak for myself for sure. For several years as I was building StrikePoint, I wasn't investing in much. I didn't want to. And I was seeing the biggest growth with inside of StrikePoint. Now, StrikePoint's still growing rapidly and it's doing well, but there was an income level that I hit. And then after the income level, I was like, well, what else? I mean, what's the point, right? So like, that's when things get really, really interesting, really interesting, if you've got a, a legitimate business that has got good operations, a great team, good leadership, um, a vision, a, a direction, a need, you've got a product fit or a market fit, you got to check all of those boxes and it's producing you more income than you really need. What I mean is need. Like, you know, you you, you can save money. You can go on your two, three, four vacations. Like, what is that? For, I, I figured out. For most people, it's about a half a million bucks. You're in Orange County. Yeah, it's more, but it, oh, maybe it's, I don't know. I, I think it's like a half a million bucks. Most people I talked to, I was like, what number was it for you that like, when you started to go bigger than this, it became, you know, different and more interesting for you. And for most people, I don't know, whatever it is, maybe it's a little more or less, but it's like 500 grand. Now, what you just said was like, why? Like the guy who's making five, maybe seven or maybe even a million dollars a year is like, no, I'm all in on my business. I'm putting everything in my business. Everything's in my, my business. I'm like, man, first of all, like you're, you're doing it all wrong because like that shouldn't be your purpose. Like your purpose should be building up team members who can do it better than you because that's going to make you more money in the long run anyway. And then part two of that is it's about divesting your uh, the extra income that you have into other, or divesting, I guess, spreading your money around and the other opportunities that can grow as fast as your own business or maybe even faster with it. And it's true. that Everyone says that Instagram teaches you how to make money. Some of it's BS. Some of it's actually really good. Having multiple sources of income is a really cool, good, and unique experience. And most people don't know what it's like. They just don't know.
0: Yeah, so the system is you figure out yeah you know, what your burn is and then you create you know discretionary income above that burn but then you have to do the right thing with it you can't just keep it all in a bank account and get, you're getting paid 1% from Wells Fargo and the, meanwhile the world is passing you by because you're so afraid to lose that you're immobilized and you're you're moving backwards i think they was inflation last year and it came in at
1: 7% yep
0: i mean nobody's bank is paying you 7% for savings no. So you're just hosed. To me, that's why I'm super passionate about levels of wealth is um, teaching people some of these things, democratizing it down to the layman, to the ordinary person who's working hard. Maybe they're making five, 600 grand a year. They don't know what to do with that money. Um, the reason I'm asking you about the deal flow is because like, I've tried to build systems that I just f- feed them into the top. One of those systems is market movers, which we're going to be teaming up on. But that's going to, yeah. you're going to, dude, we're, <laughs> there's going to be so much deal flow that comes from that. Simply because people would rather sell to people that they are already connected with and they have a a modicum of trust with. And so it's interesting that some of your best deals are the ones that aren't necessarily coming from your clientele. How are you finding those? Like, Did you just chase them down?
1: No, they are. They they're, Actually, they are coming from my clientele. So all the deals, all, okay. most of the deals are coming through my clientele, but not for their businesses. Ah, uh, okay. Gotcha. So like referrals and things. Yeah. So I met a gentleman um, who we started doing work for him and what we do. So I own a website called pre buzz.com and pre-IPO buzz just talks about angel investing and profiles businesses that are looking for funds, right? And um, we don't charge anything for it. It's a free resource for people. And this property is how we were introduced to this guy. And um, what he hired StrikePoint to do was help him with his branding and his website and help actually raise funds for some of these endeavors that he's a part of. And so this particular guy is in a lot of these deals. He's the money behind a lot of these deals. And he or knows a lot of people doing what he's doing. There are a group of people. Who are really good and know exactly how to take a company public. They know exactly what it takes to get something listed on the Nasdaq. They're amazingly connected with um, big family offices, big investors, and they themselves usually come in and buy half the company. They'll come in and buy the half the company first and foremost. Nice. Then they go and they tell everybody else about it. So it's like they're putting their own. They're not just brokers. These are not like there's a whole other category. This industry is called investor relations and. For a long time, um, investor relations had a really negative connotation with it because a lot of people, and there's been a lot of rules and people have gotten, um, even some pretty big names in the marketing space actually have gotten hit by the SEC with malpractice um, soliciting bogus companies who aren't really producing any value and they're just, you know, pump and dump type schemes, right? That's why that industry got that. And they came in, they really cracked it down. But there's always just like any in industry, the cream has some amazing people in it. And so one of these guys is our client who's been in this business for a really long time. He's the cream, he really knows how to take these really interesting businesses, find them and source them. And then he he's through either asking us to work on the project with him or just something that he's thinking that this is a good thing. So basically, wherever this guy's put his money, I've tried to weasel my way into a deal. I'm like, hey man, when's the round of funding happening? Can I get in right now? What do you need from me type of thing? And he's been gracious enough to let me let me come in.
0: How do you determine like financial independence for yourself? Because you're still working. Me and you are pretty kindred. I'm not working anymore though because it's like I need to make money. I just love to work. For me, it's like everyone has that different barometer on what what their exit looks like. Is yours just as soon as you hit half a million a year in passive? What are you going to do? Like, do you have any long term plans?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, financial independence to me, I'm not there. I personally don't think I'm there with the financial independence. I, I really want to be able to go and have the money that can make really game changing impacts on an industry you know, an entire space, that's really like what I kind of want to get to myself, that's when I can go and really make a bet or really go in and try to change something for the better. That's financial independence. to me. I can literally change the course of 10s of 1000s of individuals who've been or in an industry and try to revolutionize it in some way. So for an investment purposes, and for growth purposes, and for me, I love building businesses, I freaking love it. I love marketing, I love sales, um, I love the problem solving yeah. and frankly, it's the type of person you need to become. Yes. So every time I continue to make more money I and, and do a deal or whatever, I hit another milestone, I, I get to meet some really interesting people along the way. And man, yeah. these people, when I keep getting introduced to these people, I'm like, what's what's your story? How do you and I feel inspired that I have so much more to grow. And I'm in love with my personal growth, I have to overcome. I used to be like a really pretty bad pessimist, I would just like shoot most things down all the time. Now that's not gonna work. Now that's not gonna work. No, that's not gonna work. And it's to some degree, that's okay. But like, you got to be able to be way less emotional, a little bit less uh, subjective with it and start to be open minded to like asking yourself, why could it work? A lot of people think why could it work? And they don't look at the pessimistic side of it. I had kind of a little bit of the opposite side of it, especially for options trading, like there's so many losing trades, it's, it's not a high win ratio in some strategies. So I think that's maybe some of the background I had from it. But so you just start to grow as an individual. And so I just want to continue to push myself. I'm 38 years old. And um, I've grown so much over the last, you know, eighteen years since I entered the professional workforce. Where am I going to be in another eighteen years? What kind of impact can I make? So, and I think the number is a hundred mil, right? I think that like that's probably the right number. Net um, worth? Of, yeah, net worth that I would have like where I think that it, for me is like my big huge push that I could get to is that the, my first big uh, benchmark is a hundred million. I think that going from zero to a hundred million is the hardest thing I'll ever have to do in my life. And I think from a hundred million, I know I'll make a billion. Like I just know that if I could do that, I could do it 10 times. And I'll do it way faster with a network of people that I have, just how I know what I could do with money, how I could uh, invest it in different businesses and opportunities. So a hundred million is not my end goal. And that's not what I mean by like being completely financially independent, but I think at have- a, billion dollars though people don't understand how much how much a billion dollars is they just throw that number around like oh i want a billion dollars they have no clue how much money a billion dollars is and so i've got a 10-year plan man and that's what my 10-year plan is is to accumulate a billion dollars in 10 years 10 years from today or how far are you into that plan i am two years into that plan so i have eight years left gotcha very nice.
0: Do you mind telling me how old you are? Because I don't even know. I'm thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So by forty-eight billion dollars, just funding the uh, dying Federal Reserve because they can't figure out how to make money work.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'll be giving them loans for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think I'll be. I'll have a collection of businesses and assets that are worth a billion bucks by that time. Right. That's that's how it's going to look like. I'm not going to have a billion dollars in cash by that period of time. I'm going to have a value. I can I can yeah. liquidate you know, uh, assets and accumulate that if I needed to, which I probably never will, but yeah, that's, that's the goal.
0: You probably won't want to, I mean, you're a smart guy. You're not going to, you know, when you, when you say a billion dollars, I think it's important to, I'm just going to go out on a limb and just codify that for a second. You're not talking about like some like early stage SaaS startup valuation that's valued at 70 XP earnings. You're talking about cash flowing assets, combinations of businesses, real estate,
1: crypto stocks, all of the above, right? That's exactly right. I I want a cash flow, the enterprise of businesses and investments have a cash flow. uh, Your your gross profit is a billion dollars a year, right? Like that would be the, the, however you want to look at it because you could easily trade that. Like you can easily go one for one. It'd be worth way more than that, by the way, but like having a billion, you know, having that cash flow coming through, uh, you can get that valuation. You can do so much with that. You can leverage it. Look, guys, like it, it's you can look at you can look at really ugly ways to become a billionaire, and you don't have to look much further than and for good or for worse. Uh, not trying to offend anybody's very political, polarizing subject, but like Donald Trump, you know, like he has basically thrown Dave Ramsey's talk about debt and just threw it, you know, out the window, and then some. He smoked it in front of him because he, that guy is using. He's he's the master at debt. I mean, the guy's like uh, a savant at debt. To use debt to accumulate over a billion dollars in assets, okay, real assets. The guy can sell and do a bunch of stuff with, and he he's doing great. I mean, people can say what they want to say, but like that's an, that's a, what I mean by ugly. Is that's a it's very stressful, you know, yeah. it's a, it's different it's, way. It's not. It's not a pretty yeah. win. It's not a pretty win, but it's a freaking win. it's a de- it's like you know watching a game that just plays defense. all they're doing is just grinding the other team down yeah. and just playing mad takes forever and yeah yeah,
0: totally yep. yeah, you, you can you can tell because somebody like the Donald has had six bankruptcies and he but that's a tool that's being utilized in the debt acquisition game, you know
1: yeah, and, and unemotional. So like so many people out there, are like, I'll never get a, uh, a bankruptcy. I'll never do bankruptcy. That's just not my thing. I'm not going to have debt. I'm not going to have credit card debt. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, you know, like I said, there, there is, there's certain people, right, where Dave Ramsey's message is perfect for and, and for that season of their life, you yep. know, and they need that and that's good for them. Yep. Uh, but the more financially savvy you become the more you understand, like you just said, the perfect word, what money is, yep. it is a tool. It, you should have no more bias towards a hundred dollar building. You do a hammer or a desk or a pen or whatever else that you have in your life. Like, do you, you know, the hammer's not there anymore. Yep. Okay. So when I was a financial advisor and, uh, one of my favorite things when I was working with my clients was I asked them how they made the money. Okay. And the, the investment sizes for most of the stuff I was doing was between a half a million and a million bucks. So these guys had more than that, usually between like five and 10, not crazy amounts of money. And, um, the things I learned from them having just, I'd go to their house, I'd talk on the phone with them and I would just want them to tell me their story. I would ask them just like this. I'd be asking them all these different questions and Taylor, I learned more from the seven years I was there with that fund, and then three and a half years as a financial advisor about making money than I have doing or reading or experiencing anything else. And here's some things I found that were really fascinating to me. Most of my clients made the majority of their overall wealth in a very short period of time. Three to four, five years, most of them did. They all had this in common. They all, for the, for a very long extended period of time, were making more than about a half a million dollars a year. So they were able to make high income, but the wealth, like the game changing wealth of what they were doing. One of the guys was the CEO of a publicly traded um, bed linen company, and they did like a lot of like bed linens and baby bed linens and all this other stuff, and. It was him being the CEO of that company and taking that company public over that four-year period of time that netted him about $18 million in liquid cash that he was able to go and take off the table. But before that, he was an attorney. Then he was a CEO of a couple other companies, right? all making really high income basis. But that $15, $18 million chunk came in over that four-year period of time. Another guy started an airline company that was just doing these puddle jumps and it was the acquisition of this of his small airline company by a bigger airline company that took about three year period. That was an earnout that he made most of his money. Car dealership owners, you know, you name it. It is like it's kind of interesting how that works. So I say that because a lot of people are like, how do I build my wealth? And they're so impatient. Right. Like, they're so like, I need to have That's this it. now. And it's like, no, no, like you build, you build, you build, you build, you build. And then it's a, it it falls over the, the huge thing that you just did will fall over. And that's when the windfall will happen is when it gets so big, it can't, it's like, it's, there's no place for it to go then forward. And that's the smartest type of way to build your wealth, frankly, is to build something that there's only one way it can go. And it's going to be forward with a lot of momentum. You're going to make a lot of money from it.
0: Yeah. Which is like everything almost. It's probably applicable to a lot of things in life. It's slowly, 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 then all at once, you know, that, that threshold point. Are you set up with a good, robust trust and ownership series, or are you still kind of owning everything yourself?
1: No, I do have a, I have a living trust. I don't have a revocable trust. I have a living trust and everything that I have funnels into this living trust. Just one. Just one living trust. I want to go and put um, so my primary residence. My whole thing is to take this primary residence and pay off eventually. I'm, I've got a 2.99% interest rate on this thing. So this nice. is one of those things where, yeah, this is one of those things where I'm not going to go and people are like, don't, you know, you could pay this thing off. You could put big chunks down. I'm like, why the heck would I ever do that? Right. So I'm not going to do anything to it. But what I want to do with this house, I'll I'll never sell this house. It's a really strategic property. Um, There's over 3,000 acres that you can never build on in my backyard, overlooks it. It's like it's in Orange County, which is really rare to have Uh, this
0: like- Do you you own the 3,000 or is it just zoned by the
1: state? No, it's zoned zoned by uh, by the county, by Orange County. Um, It's a huge wilderness park. Massive wilderness park, Mm. and so it's got this. It's and it's gorgeous. So I've got deer, and I got and Orange County. It's it's a big concrete jungle. So anybody with anything like this, it's really highly sought after, and they can never ever build back there. So it's it's this really cool. It's it's on. I'm on top of a hill, like a ridge that overlooks the valley, and like it's in the sunset. Laguna Beach is where my office is at, is three miles from where my house is, you know, positioned, and so sunsets. It's gorgeous, and like because of the way that zoning works in Orange County. And because they just passed like a few years ago, this plot of land for another hundred years that they can't even bring it up for a vote or anything to do with it for wow. the next hundred years. There's only 35 houses in this area that have the same vantage point. I do 35. That's it. That's it. It's all of all the houses. That's all that's right there. All right. So that was me waiting, 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 waiting. That's the first house I ever bought. I didn't buy, I didn't have other houses. I didn't, I rented. I, right I, to the top. All, I was like, I want that one, right? Yeah. So I just went and I got it. I want that one. So I got this house. Well, here's my plan with it as I want to go and um, use this house for my kids. So sure, 529 plans. Sure, you, you know, all this stuff for the kids, whatever, but... Um, I want to take this as a piece of property. I grew up, and this is more personal. This is not necessarily the the smartest business or financial move. It's not a dumb financial move. It's just my motivation for it's differently. And it's okay for people to have that too. You can have your own personal reasons. So I grew up in apartments. My mom never graduated high school. Dad's kind of like traveling sales guy. One of five kids, grew up really poor, dumpster dove, you know, all that stuff. And I just didn't, we didn't live in houses. And so my kids, I really wanted a house for my kids. So this house is theirs. It's going to go into an irrevocable trust once it's paid off. It's going to be theirs. They can do whatever they want with it. When they turn 18, they can borrow money from it. They can sell if they want to sell it. But it's for them to, there's rules. They can start a business with it, right? They can buy a business with it. They can invest it, right? Yep. They can't use it for cash. They can't use it for income. Like, they can rent it out. If they wanted to treat it like a business, they can do that. But they can't, like, just borrow money just to spend it to live off of. Yeah. So, and then irre- irrevocable trust, there be things for them to go and do and sit. Hopefully, they just just use it as a, as a way to to leverage some capital to use for other stuff. That's, like, one of the things that I'm setting up for them. Yep you know, as I continue to grow up, but I don't need, I don't need a bunch of trust right now. I don't have, I don't need to go and, and do that, uh, to set that stuff up. Yeah. Nice. Do you have whole life insurance? Both. Nice. As whole And term Yeah, as well. That's stuff that you learn as a financial advisor. That's like a no brainer stuff that you can get, just get like free cash on cash back. Yeah. And- as like a, you know what I mean? Like that's another cool thing. Um, and you can do this with like a lot of people, I'm like, what you're doing with used cars is kind of like the a whole life insurance. <laughs> like you can buy a car and then you can buy the lease out on a car that you have. Buy the lease out on it because you could turn around on and sell it for a lot more, right? You could do that. And it's like, you're moving $25,000 and then you're going to turn on, sell it and you, you're going to get 30. So you're going to make $5,000 back off of this thing. That's what people just don't understand. They don't like to move big chunks of money around to do that but you can fund these whole life insurance policies and and there's a huge amount of like savings and cool tax strategies and things like that with this well.
0: what i'm doing is i have four trusts right now one of them holds all of my businesses and business interests so like you know the the, the beautiful thing about a trust is it can like replicate you you know it's, you, it's exactly. a living it's an entity. yeah yep. it's its own thing and so but it can't make money. And so people are like, well, what's the difference between a trust and an LLC? Well, a trust can't make money, but can it own an LLC that can make money and the LLC can make money. So I've got one trust. that's like all my business holdings go into that, all of my portfolio, equity clients, anything that makes me money is owned by an LLC that ultimately is owned by that trust. And then I have just a state trust that owns all of my personal items. And one of the things that, you know, like I love that too. I'm a leverage uh, connoisseur, you know, I'm, I'm a fan because of the way that if you structure it right and, you're not over-leveraging and cross-collateralizing everything. It's, it's a great tool. But one of the things that I'm interested in is like having a certain amount of things that aren't utilizing leverage, putting them into personal trust. So like for example, the new house we just moved into, You know, I will probably pay that off this year and then move that into trust just because it's like, at the end of the day, uh, I don't want to sell it ever either. And it's something that allows you as an entrepreneur to take some bigger risks if necessary, knowing that... You know there's nothing that's ever going to cross into your family's home you can't do really do that with vehicles because that opens up the trust of liabilities is you can hit somebody and you know that that's different but for your personal real estate sometimes it's a great advantage and then I have a um, just a, a legacy trust where everything with, when I die all of my insurance policies term whole life all of the above will be paid into that legacy trust and my trusts currently are set up on just pay on death so any if I were to die every other trust would transfer assets into the main legacy trust, and then the the bylaws inside of that trust would govern what happens with the money and it's fascinating to me how far and how deep you can go in like telling that trust how to make decisions and putting trustees on there and like you know have family family on the trust is like so the the way I think about it is you know when my kids are like wanting to start a business you know me and you i don't know exactly how you got started, but I had to go borrow money and I had to test things, didn't work. And like, I was hustling just to try to get funding. Whereas, like, my kids will be able to write a business plan, submit it to the trustees, and tap money from the trust to fund them. It's like, it blows my mind that our kids are going to have that sort of opportunity. And it's going to make them more successful because of that. You know, and that's kind of the beauty of being able to set up these living, irrevocable, living trusts that have their own rules to help your kids, family, and et cetera. So that's how I have it set up right now.
1: I love that. That's really smart. And I love how you're consolidating everything into one. I like how you have one that's set up for paying off all the debts and anything else that happens to you. I've personally seen the damage of what probate court can do to a family. I mean, let alone the loss of someone and how difficult that can be, but you never ever want to get into a situation where a county court clerk or judge is determining how, who, and what happens to your to your assets and your wealth. To kids, to family members, um, it's the worst. So that's something that I think that like, obviously, it's a no brainer, but people really do underestimate that, like what that could be like for someone. And if you're really trying to build wealth, for me personally, the act of being intentional with setting up trust and things like that is is part of the whole thing it it gets me fired up that month or that year when i go and look at the bank account for the trust or when i like i'm thinking about what my you know next quarter is going to be like and how i'm going to ask you know allocate my funds when you have the entity and it's actually created you're just manifesting you know that thing to get bigger if it's not there it's not going to happen it needs to be there um i had a question for you taylor do you um, have a self-directed ira or do you do like what they call a solo 401k
0: No, not right now. And I think part of it is because I never got hooked up with any of that at my uh, employment, which I think is kind of where, at least from from my experience, most people kind of get introduced or exposed to that sort of thing. And I never did. And so I just kind of bypassed it. Is that something that I should do now, though?
1: Yes, 100%. So if you own your own business, you should set up a... uh, Oh, and by the way, here's how I have my businesses structured. So, I have a management company called Blossom Family Ventures. Blossom Family Ventures LLC is the owner of StrikePoint Media. It's the owner of all these other different companies I'm involved with. That thing is the. uh, So, what happens with StrikePoint is that when we take a distribution from StrikePoint, I can have a 401k with StrikePoint for that salary through that LLC. And then when the the profit distributions get sent to my management company, I can have another 401k with my management company, a solo 401k. So I can have a company, which we do. We have a company 401k with 401k matching. I can take a salary and get um, the company to be matching my contribution to that. I can have my solo 401k with my own LLC. And here's what's cool about it. There's a cool company called RocketDollar.com. That's who I use, by the way, to set it up they use a bank called Solera Bank to set this stuff up. So they will create for you all of the legal documentation you need to have a solo 401k. And you can put as much as $56,000 a year into this solo 401k every single year. So with this with that $56,000 now it's in this. Now it's a self-directed 401k. So I am buying some of my deals into these angel investing opportunities. I'm using my solo 401k for those. I have invested in some of the cryptos with my solo 401k. And you know, so because you have your institutional 401k, your, your, your traditional 401k through your, my other business, you're going to be limited to whatever that plan provides. So you're going to be limited to mutual funds, ETFs. You can trade it your own if you want, which is what I've elected to do with the other one. But you can go and set this stuff up in such a way where, man, that unlocks a ton of opportunity for you. And it's all pre-tax, Taylor. So you can take $56,000 right out of your top line. It's not taxed right into your solo 401k. And you can buy, you can invest in businesses with it. You can do a bunch of stuff. You can't invest in your own business, for example, though. So... You can't go in and take the 401k and put it into, um, you know, a new code that you're the 100% owner of and just move money around like that. That doesn't work like that. So you can put it in for investment purposes, but you can buy real estate, you can buy baseball cards, you can buy gold, silver, you can buy uh, crypto NFTs. You can buy a bunch of stuff using this, this solo 401k and $56,000 every year adds up. And then if you can get um, liquidity events with some of the angel deals or whatever else that you're doing. That money can pile up really, really quickly. And because of the new COVID laws, you can actually borrow up to 50% of that. By the way, you have to pay yourself an interest back, but you can pay. You can borrow. It's like it's five percent interest, but you can borrow fifty percent of your four hundred one k without paying an early penalty fee or a withdrawal fee for it. And you can use that for emergencies, investments, whatever you want. Again, you're playing the debt game. That's a five percent debt. So if you've got a half a million dollars, you could take two hundred fifty thousand dollars out of that that four hundred one k, two hundred fifty thousand bucks, and go buy a rental property. Pay the five percent interest on that money every year. And then when you sell that rental property, put it back into, you got to put all the money back, by the way. You can't just keep it. You got to put it all back, but you can put it back into your 401k. So there's like really cool things that you can do with these self-directed solo 401ks. I love it. Wealthy people, it's
0: almost like we're always looking for like savings accounts. That's all they are. They are like, we got to get money out of a bank selling somebody the other day. It's like screw your emergency fund. Like I know that people are teaching emergency fund. Put your emergency fund in a whole life policy, fully funded in a cash value. Pull it right back out in 24 hours, but you're getting five six percent. You're not paying taxes on it. And it's like people don't are like what Dave Dave told me not to do that. It's like listen, <laughs> you've got to you've got to parse between the advice that you're getting, and you've got to decide do I do I want to actually inherit or or replicate the life of who I'm getting the advice from. And I think for. Some people, it's like, if you're interested in speed, you've got to make sure that you pay attention to like, how old is this person giving you advice? I was at a events just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about like some of the common pitfalls, the common advice and pieces of, you know, curriculum that are passed out. And it's like, if if you look at most of the people giving financial advice, they're like 90 years old. Not really 90 years old, but they're, they're, they're up there. And it took them a really long time to get rich and wealthy. And it's important to just pay attention to how people who have gotten there quickly – have done it in the way that they think. I got a question for you. I've never studied the IRA game or any of this stuff. Where do you get information on this? I want to read some something about it or talk to somebody about it. Is Just financial planners or what?
1: Yeah, financial planners would do it. Um, honestly, some of the guys who are in the alternative investing space know this better than anyone else. But... Millennium Trust, Intrust, Rocket Dollar are all things that will give you really good information about IRAs, four hundred one k's, self directed. Um, if you just Google self directed IRA do's and don'ts, opportunities, what what can you do with your IRA, a self directed IRA, um, you'll start to you'll start to you know learn about this stuff. But it's about people selling. I learned a lot from people selling alternative investments using those types of, that's the best way because those guys know every loophole right. there is because they want you to invest in whatever it is. So you could talk to those guys. You're going to go through a little bit of a sales pitch, but man, they've got that stuff dialed in as far as what you can and cannot do. One of our clients, I, and you know this client I was talking about, but they specialize in helping people buy physical gold and silver inside their IRA account. And so I've learned a lot about what you can do and the limits you could take a, a, a IRA through that company because they they have figured out every single tax you know uh, law that is corresponds with the an IRA and what you can and cannot do.
0: Nice, that's amazing. Well, dude, I've got to wrap this up. We could talk for three more days on it, uh, but people yes. will people yes. will come to know your name because this is not your first or or the last experience that we've had or we're going to have. Is there any place you want people to go check you out or any any pet projects you got right now that you're excited about that we can send people to?
1: Yeah, um, I would follow along with what we're doing with StrikePoint Media. We've got a really big year planned. Uh, We just acquired two agencies. We're gonna make some press releases about it um, soon. So check out what we're doing there. And then hit me up on Instagram. I'm gonna be talking a little bit about some of the things I'm gonna be investing in this year. I've got some cool projects I'm gonna be launching. So yeah, Instagram at Jeremy Blossom or strikepointmedia.com.
0: Amazing, dude, thanks for coming on. You're great friends. You are uh, truly one of the most, I think, Uh, Educated and intellectually uh, stout individuals that I have the privilege of calling a friend. So I appreciate you. Thanks for your time. Can't wait to build with you. And uh, adios.
1: Thanks, man. Thank you, Taylor. Thanks, everybody.